Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Good News in the Neighborhood podcast. This is coming to you from our new church in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. I'm Pastor Luke McDonald. I'm so glad that you joined us today. In this feed, you're going to find Sunday sermons from our new church. You'll also find Good News Weekly, which is a collection of content from me, my wife Kristen, Jay Griff, and a whole bunch of other members of our new church. We're so glad that you joined us today. It really helps, as you know, with podcasts, if you share, if you rate, if you leave a review, any of that good stuff helps get the word out. Without further ado, let's get to today's content. Thanks, brother. Can you give it up for your pastor? Come on. Dude, I... um. I, l- I love you so much. Like, and, and you and I have, uh, as we've gotten to know each other over the past year or so, um, you know those people that you think, man, if we weren't Christians and hung out, we would go to jail? That's me and you. Um, so uh, I hope you know how fortunate you are to have a pastor like Luke. Um, I, like Luke said, I, I get to work with a bunch of different pastors and a bunch of different organizations and there's so many guys out there that are, how do I say this? Uh, they're trying to be the next big thing, or they're trying to be super cool, or they're trying to be like the whatever. Um, the thing that I love about your pastor, not that you're not super cool. I mean, you're cool. I didn't want it to come off that way, but <laughs> we all know, right, guys? Um, that he loves people. And we, he picked me up yesterday. I'm from, I'm from Atlanta, just me and Jermaine Dupree down there hanging out in the streets. Um, and most white people don't get the Jermaine Dupri joke, man. I'm just going to be honest with you. And, uh, and so we, uh, he was picking me up and he was sharing my heart for the neighborhood and what he's trying to do and the church that he's trying to build really serving people. And I want you to know, like, in the kingdom, that is a very unique thing at times. And it shouldn't be. And uh, it is very unique. So I love you, man. And I'm so thankful for our friendship. And you make me feel normal is another thing that's really good. You know what I'm saying? So uh, but like Luke said, my name is Josh Turner. I'm usually a disappointment. I live in the South, and there's a country music singer named Josh Turner. So I show up for restaurants a lot, and people are just sheerly disappointed in me as a person all the time uh, because of my name. But I actually have a picture of my family that I brought that I want to share with you. I feel like it's a little bit important um, and, I, and I'm going to talk about part of our story. So that's my son, Aiden. He is 19 years old. We let him take a gap year. So he has been for a year a fly fishing guide in Montana. Um, his hair now is like past his shoulders. He got a new truck. So he's the coolest thing on four wheels right now in his mind. Uh, so he's 19 years old. Uh, that's my wife, Becca. We have been married 18 years. So if you can do math, I was not always a Christian. Uh, anybody got a backstory at Good News Church? Just me and you, dog. Well, me and you will hang out after service because everybody else apparently was born with a Bible and a lamb in their hands. Uh, behold, as you guys came out. That's my wife, Becca. Uh, like I said, 18 years. She's the best thing in the world. And that is our daughter, Riley. Uh, Riley is lower in that picture uh, because she's in a wheelchair. As you can see, uh, she has a tracheostomy. And she's kind of what I want to talk about uh, a little bit. A couple years ago, Riley got her first ever diagnosis at 12 years old, um, and we found out that she was the 12th known case in the world of a rare genetic disorder. Um, she sleeps on a ventilator at night. She, we have multiple wheelchairs at our house that she drives and just destroys our entire house with. with they should just have battering rams on the front of them for our furniture. It's okay. I can make fun of her. She's my kid. Um, so she just, like, destroys furniture, and our dog lives in constant terror, and... Uh, but she's the 12th known case in the world. And a couple years ago, um, 
and the other reality is I was a part of a church for 17 years, um, was kind of the guy that was slated to take over the church. It was a large church, multiple cities, multiple locations. Um, and my pastor that I followed for 17 years just went totally kind of off the rails theologically. And I went from the favored son to Darth Vader in about a week. And so after 17 years, he turns on me, really betrays me, forces me out of the church. My wife and I had planted two churches that we had to give back to the organization. So I'm just a mess of a human. The same week that I resign, our daughter gets her diagnosis of the 12th known case in the world. And we get a call from the state of Florida where we live saying, hey, she has a new diagnosis, so you're about to lose all of your Medicaid in the state of Florida. So in one week, my life, like 2020 was a dumpster fire for everybody, right? Me and my wife make a joke that we tailgated it in 2019. Like y'all showed up in 2020, we were in the parking lot, like, what's up, where y'all been? And so our whole world fell apart. And I was a mess. And I was in a, in a very bad place. And that's kind of what I want to talk about. And so let me ask you this question. What do you do when you have a crisis of faith? And I know that when I say crisis of faith, that sometimes we don't even know, like we have all these different ideas of what a crisis of faith could be, and we have our own definitions of that in our head based off of the way that we were born and the way that we kind of grew up. So let me ask it to you this way. What do you do when God doesn't do what you think he should? Because the reality is, that's going to happen for all of us at some point in our life. Like, we're always going to have these moments where God doesn't do what we think he should do. I mean, how many of you feel like, God, if you would just consult me about my life, I have a lot of really good ideas that I could tell you that would really bless me. Like, I've lived there. And so it's one of those things that I've seen this question, what do you do when God doesn't do what you think you should? I've seen it crush people. I've seen people that have been like, man, if this is how God is, I don't want anything to do with him. And they walk away from the faith. But I've also seen it push people closer into God. And so the reason I pose this question to you is because I want you to understand that it's a choice. And you have to make a choice on the way that you respond to God when God doesn't do what you think he should. I mean, what do you do when you get a phone call and the cancer's back? What do you do when you get that phone call and the spouse that you have been married to for 20, 30 years looks at you and says, I don't want to be involved in this marriage anymore? What do you do in that job that you have been working at forever, all of a sudden they come to you and say, hey, the economy's hard and you're not needed here anymore? Like those are crises of faith. How about this? Have you ever prayed about something and it doesn't get better, but it actually gets worse? And you're like, my bad, Lord. Uh, and you just kind of like back out of it. So what do we do in this? And I think so many times when we go through things like this, we think that it's just us. But I believe that what you see all throughout Scripture is just a collection of people that God didn't do what they thought God should do. And so you look at Daniel chapter 3 and you got Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. If you know the story, King Nebuchadnezzar, he builds this, this massive golden idol. And he says, everybody must bow down and worship this golden idol. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. So we're not going to do it. We're not going to bow down and worship anything but our God. And King Nebuchadnezzar goes, okay, cool. Well, I'm going to throw you in the furnace. Now, here's what we know. We know how the story ends because we have the Bible. But those three jokers standing at the foot of that furnace, they didn't know that Jesus was going to show up in that furnace. And I just like to picture them. And I, when I read scripture, I always try to like picture what it was like. I can just imagine these three friends standing at this furnace with guards getting ready to toss them in and them looking at each other going, man, I didn't see it going this way, did you? 
Like, I thought God was going to be like, you have done what I wanted. That's the way God speaks in my mind, by the way. You have done what I wanted. You're never going to get hurt. What about Daniel chapter 6? We see Daniel. God, the, the king says, listen, you cannot pray to any other gods. You cannot worship any other gods. Well, three guys creep and spy on Daniel. They see him praying to God. They go to the king and they say, hey, Daniel, we caught him praying to God. And so he goes, okay, well, i got to throw him in the lion's den. Now, we know that the angel shows up, and Daniel's kept safe in the lion's den. But how many of you know, as he's getting tossed into that thing, I bet Daniel kind of looked at himself and was like, i got to be honest, I didn't see it going this way. Like, God, I thought, you ever think this? If I do this, God, then you will do this. You ever play that game? Like, God, if I, then you. And I do that. And so, and then you look at, and I always look at the great apostle Paul, right? The great apostle Paul has an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And God says, you are the guy, Jesus says, you are the guy that is going to take my message of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And you would think that Paul is like walking in there and he's got everything. But almost every city Paul goes into, he's beaten and thrown into prison. What do you do with this? What do we do with it? What do we do when God doesn't do what we think he should? And I know that's a heavy question. And, and the reason that I pose it is because I want you to be a Christian. I mean, you guys, let's be honest. You're already the best Christians at Good News because you came to church at 9 when it was raining. So you guys get to pick where you live in heaven, okay? I just want you to know that. Pastor Luke was going to do that at the end of the sermon, but you guys can sign up outside for the lots uh, in heaven that you want. So, like, what do we do with this? Like what? And, and I always tell churches this. You know what I wish I could say as a pastor? I wish that I could stay, say, and every time they get to preach, say, here's the deal, guys. At the end of the service, I'm going to give everyone in this room an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. And when you do, and you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the only Son of God that was crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected for you, that he is going to separate your sins as far away as the east is from the west, and now you are the righteousness of Christ. But what I wish I could also say is, and also... God's going to encapsulate you in a Holy Spirit bubble, and nothing bad will ever happen to you again for the rest of your life. And everything that happens to you will make total sense to you for the rest of your life. But I think that all of us know that's not reality. Like, there's some of us in here that we have been serving God for a very long time, and we live in a place where God is continuing to do what does not make sense to us. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I, I want to give you three things. Like I said, our life exploded in 2019. And I realized I had a very big choice to make of how I responded to this. And if I was honest with you, I wasn't happy with God. You know, some people are like, when hard times come, they just go to God and they're like, not today, devil. That's usually not my first bent. Sometimes my first bent is cuss words and freaking out. And I wish that I was a better Christian at times about that. And so one of the things that I started realizing is, is I have got to do certain things so that I can walk through this part of my life where God is not doing what I think he should do. And I want you to know, like, what I'm going to share with you, these aren't just things that, like, as a pe preacher, I wrote a, a three-point sermon, and I showed up, and I'm like, hey, you know, here are three things, and then I leave. Like, these are things, and I'm going to talk about it, that I have continually had to cultivate in my life. My daughter is 14 years old. She was born special needs. Um, she was in the NICU for three months. She was undiagnosed for a long time. They actually told my wife and I that she would live a year, and my wife and I would have to determine when to let her go. So I've wrestled a lot with this stuff. 
and I've wrestled with the goodness of God and suffering and the goodness of God and God, who are you when my world is falling apart? And God, who are you when you don't make sense to me? And I had to do some things that I knew I was supposed to do before I felt like doing them, if that makes sense. I knew that there were some spiritual disciplines in my life that I didn't feel like doing, but I knew that I had to do them to help get me to the other side of my pain and my questions. And this sermon has come out of that. This sermon has come out of my own pain and issues of going, God, when you don't do what I think you should do, who are you in this moment and what do I do about this? So I have three things that I want to give you and I want to encourage you to take notes and here's why. I can say this because I know your pastor. Any person who ever stands on the stage and preaches and communicates is at their best just a broken man or woman doing their best to communicate on behalf of a holy God. So if I say anything today and you're like, man, that's really good. He's super handsome. You can keep the super handsome part. But if I say, that was just a joke. But if I say anything, some of you are like, he's arrogant. Um, If I say anything and you're like, man, that's really good. I want you to understand that is the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you because God knows where you are and he wants you to hear things that are specific to the situation that you find yourself in. And so I always take notes because it's easier to reference something in pain than it is to remember something in pain. Amen? So take notes, write it down. The first thing is this. uh, When God doesn't do what you think he should do, you need to do this. You need to remember what God has done. Remember what God has done. So I'm going to read. I love that y'all start every service with a reading from Psalms. So I'm going to read Psalm 77 to you, and I'm going to read all of Psalm 77 to you. Here's why I'm going to read all of Psalm 77 to you. Most of the time, the Psalms are very beautiful. They're very how much the psalmist loves the Lord, how much the Lord loves the psalmist. Psalms 139 is one of my favorite ones ever. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am knit together in my mother's womb. God, you watched me as I was formed in the utter depths of seclusion. Beautiful. So I want you to think of the contrast of how beautiful the psalms are in contrast to Psalm 77. This is what it says. I cry out to God, yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long, I prayed with hands lifted toward heaven, but my soul was not comforted. I think of God and I moan, overwhelmed with longing for his help. You don't let me sleep. I'm too distressed even to pray. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in that moment where you're trying to go to sleep at night and you're just laying on your back, staring at your ceiling, going, why can't I go to sleep tonight? Because your mind is just running. Or have you ever prayed so much about something that the next day you go to pray about it, you don't have anything to say, so you're just like, uh, Lord, uh, ditto on yesterday. Just run it back, Jesus. Like, you're in those points. It goes on. I think of the good old days long since ended when my nights were filled with joyful songs. I search my soul and ponder the difference now. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? Verse 10 is the saddest. And I said, this is my fate. The most high has turned his hand against me. So the psalmist in this moment is like, God, I can't find you. God, I can't sleep. God, are you angry? God, have, you, have, you, have, you lo- have I lost you? God, where are you in this moment? And in verse 10, he finally just comes to the conclusion of like, no, I guess this is what it is. I guess God has turned his hand against me. And let's be honest, when God doesn't do what we think he should, can it feel like that sometimes? Like if we're really real with ourselves and you're laying or you're sitting in hospital beds or you're getting terrible phone calls or you're losing your job or the world doesn't make sense, can it feel like, God, are you mad at me? Like, God, is this some sort of weird punishment? But I want you to look at the difference and where everything changes in verse 11. 
Verse 11 says this, but then I recall all you have done, O Lord. So the psalmist is going, my life is ending, everything's over, God's turned his hand against me, verse 11, but then, but then I remember all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. O God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. By your strong arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. I love this part. When the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. The sea quaked to its very depths. The cloud poured down the rain. The thunder rumbled in the sky. Your arrows of lightning flashed. Your thunder roared from the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. Could it be that the reason that God isn't doing what we think God should do is because God sees a pathway out of our situation that nobody else sees? Could it be one of those things that we are sitting there and going, God, why aren't you doing this? Because listen, sometimes a blessing too soon isn't a blessing but a curse. And sometimes I think that God looks at us and he says, listen, I know I hear your prayers. And I know what you're asking me. But if I actually answered your prayers the way that you wanted me to answer your prayers, it would actually be the worst thing for you. So I'm not going to answer them the way that you want me to answer them because I see another pathway. And I love this about... Thank you, brother. And so, like, um, I'm going to tip you after service. Um, so the thing I love about this is the psalmist is like, everything's falling apart. Everything's over. God has hands against me. God doesn't know me. I can't sleep at night. Oh, but, man, God, then I remember. It's amazing. I call it Christian amnesia. Like, when God is good, everything's good, right? Like when everything's firing on all cylinders, it's like you're just walking, God's with you all the time. But most, for most of us, including myself, the first time that anything happens, we're like, that's it, we're goners, and we just totally forget God's track record with us. So I tell you, in 2019, my, my, my life falls apart. And my wife came up to me one day, and she was like, very lovingly, and I didn't handle it well. It's time to get yourself together. I'm in counseling every day. I was on anti-anxiety medicine, anti-depression. Like, I was just a mess. I wasn't reading my Bible. I wasn't praying, none of this stuff. And I had this thought. Man, I don't want my children to see me only worship God when things are good. I want them to see me worship God when everything's falling apart. So I told my wife, I was like, you're right. Okay, I'm going to go spend some time with the Lord. I'm just going to go read my Bible, kind of clear my head. Now, I lived in Orlando at the time. So sometimes... I would go work at downtown Disney because there's nothing that makes you feel better about your life than seeing a family meltdown at like 2 o'clock. Do you know what I mean? You're just like, is a, is a dad's like force-feeding a turkey leg to a kid? You're like, I'm doing okay. At least I'm not that idiot. Um, and so, so I go to downtown Disney, and I would, I would work at this Starbucks. I, guys, Disney is the best people-watching in the world. Like, there's no better people watching. It's like the seventh circle of hell. Like, there's just, like, there's one step left and before families melt down. And uh, so I was sitting at this Starbucks, and I start reading Mark chapter 4. Now, I have read Mark chapter 4 a million times. And in Mark chapter 4, what we see is, is Jesus and the disciples are crossing over the Sea of Galilee. A massive storm comes up out of nowhere. The disciples in this moment think that they're going to drown. Now remember, these guys are skilled fishermen. So the storm must have been massive if they think that they're going to drown in this moment. So one of them finally goes, hey, somebody wake up Jesus. So they wake up Jesus. 
Jesus comes to the front of the boat and says, peace be still. Most commentary writers believe that the way that you read it when it's written in the Hebrew, that Jesus changed the entire environment in one word. So it's like stormy, cloudy, everything's happening. Jesus says, peace be still, and it's like a blue sky and a bird flies by. So Jesus in one moment changes everything. But then here's what hits me. Jesus turns to the disciples and looks at them and goes, how have you still not learned to trust me? Now, I have read this scripture tons of times. And for the first time ever, for some reason, and this is why the scripture is alive, because it speaks to you at different times for what you need. So I'm reading it, and I'm like, holy cow. Jesus is asking them this question in a storm, not because he just calmed the storm, but because of all the miracles that they've seen him do in Mark 1 through 3. So I sit down, and I start outlining like all the miracles that the disciples saw Jesus do in Mark 1 through 3, they saw people with demons come up and call him son of the most high God. They saw Jesus cast demons out. They saw Jesus heal people. And I'm reading this in a broken state because my life has fallen apart. And I'm like, Jesus, how in the world? Yeah, these disciples, how do they not trust you when they've seen you do all these miracles? I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous, Jesus, that they're just in this one storm. And all of a sudden, they think they're going to drown when they've already seen you do all these miracles. How do they not trust you? And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, cool, I was wondering the same thing about you. And I went, Lord, this isn't about me. This is about your wicked disciples and their dark hearts. You leave me out of this, Jesus. And so I remember, I remember sitting there and going, I'm one of the disciples. I'm the guy on the boat going, this is it. This is how we go. And I've forgotten the track record. So what would it look like for you to remember the track record? See, so many times we forget it in hardship. So I actually went home that night, cooked dinner for my family, sat my kids down and my wife down and said, listen, I told them that story and I said, what would it look like for us to list out all the miracles and the blessings that God has given us in our past and to carry it with us? So now when God doesn't do what I think he should, I don't freak out like a disciple in the boat. I look at the track record I have with Jesus. What would it look like for you to do that today? What would it look like for you to leave here, go home, go to brunch with your spouse, or your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your boo, whatever, and you sit there and you make a list and you remind yourself that if God was faithful in the past, he's going to be faithful in the present, he's going to be faithful in the future because our circumstances don't change God's character. God's character is the way that it is all the time. So the first thing is this, you have to remember what God has done. The second thing is this. You need to accept what God is doing. This isn't easy. I, I would love to tell you that this is easy. And when I say accept what God is doing, I don't mean just like rolling over and playing dead. Like there's this, we, we know there's people where they're just like, have your way with me, Lord. And you're like, all right, get it together. Like calm down a little bit. I don't mean just rolling over, but I also don't mean doing what I've seen a lot of Christian people do over the times. I've been a pastor for almost 20 years. Like, that they don't want to acknowledge it. Like, they don't want to, like, be like, yeah, life's hard, my wife's got cancer. That they want to just be like, fake it? Don't do that. Don't be a person that they show up to church and you got people outside waiting to greet you, people waiting to be in community with you, your life's falling apart, and someone's like, hey, how are you doing? And you're like, well, you know, just blessed and highly favored. You're like, well, your car exploded in the parking lot and your face is bleeding. So we, we like, something is going on we need to talk about. And the reason that I think so many of us, that we, that we have trouble accepting what God is doing, is we get stuck in a question. 
the question we get stuck in is why. When our daughter was born, for five years, I was stuck in why. I'm talking bad. Like doctrinally, theologically, everything. I was still a pastor, and people would be like, hey, I need you to go pray for this person for healing. And I'm like, okay, well, that's cool, but like I've been praying for this little thing for three years, and she's not getting healed, but I'm going to pray for this person, and I guess he can do it. Or what really messes you up is when God heals somebody else, but your daughter's still in a wheelchair. And so I got stuck in why. And I just stayed there, and it messed with me. It messed with my faith. It messed with my walk. It messed with my journey. The good thing it did to me is it forced me to know what I believe. And sometimes that's what questions do. But I want to give you a different question to ask. When God doesn't do what you think he should do, instead of asking the question why, ask the question, what do you want me to do with this? I have an example. So I have another picture of my daughter I want to show you. So my daughter um, is a diva. And I'm not saying like a little bit. I mean, if we were ranking divas, it would be J-Lo. Her and Ben did it, y'all. Um, J-Lo, Beyonce, my daughter. She is 14 years old. She has a 15-minute facial regimen she does every night. I didn't know about it. And I walked into her room. She has a jade roller with serum that she's putting on her face. I've never seen a jade roller before, so I didn't know what was happening. So I walk in, I go, she's in her little wheelchair thing. I go, sweetheart, what are you doing? She goes, dad, I don't want wrinkles. I go, baby, you're 14, share it with your mom. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm just, and I can, and I can make that joke, Luke, because she's not here. Um, and so, so, she is in it, dude. She is in social media, all the style magazines, all the YouTubers, all the blogs. She's into all of it. Like, I took her to Sephora one time, and someone tried to talk to her. Like, she was like, hey, little girl, what makeup would you want? She was like, I want this toner, but not this toner. It's too harsh on my... And she starts naming the ingredients, and I was like, yeah, girl, what Sephora? You know what I mean? And so she's super into it, super into it. So one day I'm leaving, and she goes, Dad, I want to start a blog. And I'm like, okay, my sweet, innocent little girl wants to start a blog because she wants to be internet famous. She wants followers, and she wants people to subscribe, and she wants to hawk goods on Instagram and all this stuff. So I feel like it is the moment that I've been preparing for as a father my entire life to teach her that she doesn't need to be an influencer for the world. She needs to be an influencer for Jesus. And I say all the corny things that pastor kids get to hear all the time. So I'm just going on this rant of why she should not start this blog, and that she doesn't need to worry about that, and that's not real influence. And it's like I have been preparing a dissertation since I was like a small child for this moment and as I'm talking she's just nodding at me like go on idiot keep going so I get done speaking to her and she goes well that's not why I want to start a blog I said okay why do you want to start a blog she goes you know how I love fashion right I'm like yeah baby we're all very aware the bankers aware American Express looks my card has been stolen again like we're all very like aware why you love fashion she goes, well, one of the things I've learned in all the magazines I read and all the blog posts and, you know, all the Instagram and YouTube things I watch, she goes, there's not a lot of stuff out there for little girls that are in wheelchairs and walkers to be taught how to dress trendy. So I thought that I could start a blog because I'm so into it to be able to teach these little girls and these younger girls about how to dress 
even if they have to be in a wheelchair and a walker. And she goes, and I also thought that I could share my stories of Jesus with them. And that's also the moment that I realized that I loved her more than my son, was that moment <laughs> there that I looked at her and whispered, you're going to get it all. Um, Here's the truth. Um, here's a 14-year-old little girl for the rest of her life could have asked the question, why? And for some reason, by the sheer grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, she started asking God, what do you want me to do with this? So she's, so she's going, so her plan is to go to the Savannah School of Art and Design to design adaptive clothing for people that are in wheelchairs and walkers. I say that to say she's 14. We're grown behind people. So what is that thing for you that you don't think God can do anything with or you think is too far gone, and it's actually the thing that the Lord wants to use most in your life? What is the thing that you keep trying to figure out and saying, why, 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 why? And I feel like sometimes God is in heaven and Jesus is in heaven looking at us going, just ask me a different question. Because there's so many times, and I've learned this in my own life, I made a joke that my wife and I had our son before we were married, and that's not a joke we did. And my parents lost, I'm, if you cannot tell by my accent, I'm from the South. And so, like, my parents are old school, super religious Southern. So when my wife got pregnant, they lost their minds. I was a, I was a, they were ashamed, like, terrible stuff that was said. You know one of the greatest joys in my life now? is to get to sit with couples to get pregnant out of wedlock, me and my wife, and help pastor them through it. What if the thing that you have been trying to figure out and ask God why is actually the greatest thing that he wants to use in your life and the life of others? And it makes me think of this verse. I added it in my notes. It's 2 Corinthians 1.4. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. What if that thing for you that you keep asking why is a question that God is saying, ask me a different question. So what is that for you? And we all know what it is for us, right? Like if you and I were to sit one-on-one -on -one and I was to ask you, hey, what's that thing you keep asking God why for? You could be like, no, it's this. Because we all know it in the back of our head. I mean, I still ask God why. And it's a discipline that I have to learn to flex to not stay in why and continue to go to God, what do you want me to do with this? It's a discipline. It's a choice. The third and final thing is this, is you need to trust what God will do. You need to remember what he's done. You need to accept what he's doing. You need to trust what God will do. Man, the band just came out like a bunch of gangsters from the back. Good Lord. That was intimidating, guys. I'm going to be real honest. Um, and so, so trust what God will do. Here, I'm going to step down here. Trust what God will do. Now, once again... This isn't easy. And the reason that it's not easy is because most of us, we don't know the word of God well enough, so when trouble comes, all we know to do is stand on our emotions. Guys, our emotions are fickle. And they change. Like, here's, my, here's always my, my favorite example. Anybody of you married to the person that you first dated ever in your entire life? Not a lot. Because our emotions change. You ever like run into an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend that you were so in love with once and it's like 10 years later and you see him and you're like, Lord, I thank you that you answer prayers and you did not, like you just, because our emotions change. 
they change from one moment to the next, but when you don't know the word of God, what ends up happening is you end up just standing on those. And the problem is, is our emotions are not truth. Our emotions are how we feel about a situation. Emotions are a good indicator. They're a terrible dictator. They're a good indication of how you feel, but they're a terrible dictator of the choices that you should make in your life. And so one of the things that we've got to do in the way, the only way that I've learned to do this, to trust what God is doing, is to just remind myself of scripture all the time. Now, some of you in here, you can just, you probably just have tons of scripture memorized. I've never done that. I know that's awful to say as a pastor and I should go outside and y'all should all throw rocks at me. But like, it's one of those things that I just haven't done. I have a lot memorized, but not some of the ones that are more obscure about suffering. So I went to the internet one day to a theological tool called Google. And I went to Google and I typed in scriptures for suffering, scriptures for heartache, scriptures for trials, scriptures for whatever. And I write, I have them in a black moleskin small journal that I carry in my back pocket. And when I check myself and find myself riding the wave of my emotions, I pull that out and I just simply read them. Because what I'm reminding myself of and what you guys can remind yourself of is that my emotions are not the absolute truth. The word of God is the absolute truth and it's his promises to me. So there are gonna be times that I don't trust the promises, but that's just my emotion. And intellectually, I have to say, this is what's true, this is not what's true. And that's the only thing that's helped me learn to trust. So let me tell you practically what this looks like for me right now. Um, I don't usually share this if my daughter's in the room when I preach. So recently, one of the things that I have been for whatever reason, thinking about a lot as a father is, what happens to her when something happens to me and her mom? Like living there. My first thing that I wish I would have done was go to scripture. The first thing I did was call an attorney. Then I called my insurance guy. Then I called my financial planner. And then I had to have a talk with my 19 year old son. Hey bro, um, if something happens to me and mom, I need, to know you're gonna help, you're gonna be able to take care of your sister. Can I just be honest? Doesn't give you a lot of peace, you know? Cause he's like, yeah, I mean, I guess I got it. <laughs> Can I go play Fortnite? Like, you're a disappointment. That's why your sister's getting everything. Um, and so it didn't help, right? Like I just upped my insurance, which I already had so much. If I go missing, check my wife. It was her 100%. And so she gets that weird look in her eye sometimes. Where I'm like, all right. Um, so one of the things that I've had to do is I have to keep going back to scripture. And I realized that I did everything I could in the natural to alleviate a pain I felt in my heart. It didn't help. Matthew 6, 34. Don't worry about tomorrow because the day has enough troubles of its own. So this is what I do when I think about it. God, I cannot control tomorrow. I don't know what tomorrow looks like, but I know you do. And so God, I ask that you would give me the strength and you would hold true to your word that I don't need to worry about tomorrow because the day has enough troubles of my own and God, that you are with me in this moment. Some of you in here, listen, you, you need to go and write down some scriptures. 
You need to go remind yourselves of Romans 8.28 that God works all things together for good for those that love him and have been called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that all things are good. It says he works all things together for good. So you may be staring at something that's a terrible situation. God has the ability when you love him and have been called according to his purpose to turn that bad situation into something good. And you need to remind yourself that that's his promise to you. And you hold on to it. And so some of you in here, listen, you, you need to make a list today. You need to make a list of all the times that God has already come through for you. And you need to carry it. You got to remind yourself, if he's faithful then, he'll be faithful in the future. Some of you need to start asking a different question. You need to stop asking why. You need to start asking God, God, what do you want me to do with this? And some of you need to go write down some scriptures. You need to carry them with you and remind yourself that your feelings are not the truth. That the word of God is the truth. And then some of you in here, and, and I made a joke earlier that, you know, you guys are the super Christians. You came out at 9 a.m. on a Sunday in the rain. But some of you in here, maybe you need to commit your life to Christ for the first time. And some of you in here, listen, maybe you need to recommit your life to him a little bit. And, you know, I always tell people, people want to get into the once saved, always saved, he leaves, like all that sort of stuff. This is the way I always say it. If the Holy Spirit is moving on your heart, just respond to it. Just respond. Like, just, like, you, you think that if someone says, you know what, I'm going to recommit my life to the Lord, God's in heaven going, no, if they already did it once, that one doesn't count. Yeah. No, just respond. The Holy Spirit is moving on your heart for a reason. So I just want to give you a chance in this moment before the band leads us and Pastor Luke comes back up, just to, if you want to commit or recommit your life to Christ, I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me real quick. You know, the Bible is very clear, and I say this every time I do a salvation call because I feel like it's very important that we understand what salvation is. You know, the Bible is very clear that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And what that means is every person that has ever walked on this earth apart from Jesus Christ, we are all sinners. And because we are all sinners, we are all in need of a Savior. Jesus Christ is that Savior. Jesus Christ lived a perfect and a holy and a sinless life. And he went to the cross for us. And all the punishment that you and I deserve, his father placed upon him. And the Bible tells us that when we confess with our mouth and we believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is the only son of God that was crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected for us, that in that moment our sins are separated from us as far away as the east is from the west. But also we are the righteousness of Christ. So now when God looks at you, he does not see always the bad things that you do or do not do. He sees his son Jesus Christ and you are now righteous in the eyes of God because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. And your sins are separated. And so you are a new creation. You are not a 2.0 of your old former self. You are brand new. And if you're in here and you would just say, Josh, you know, this morning I just need to commit or recommit my life to Christ. Uh, I'm going to count to three and I'm just going to ask you to slip up a hand and then I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. If you need to commit or recommit your life to Christ, I'm just going to count to three, ask you to slip up a hand, and I'm going to lead us in a prayer. One, two, three. Raise them. Amen, 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 amen. Um, Lord, you are, a, uh, you are a good God. And God, we thank you so much that you love us and that you care for us. And God, I thank you um, that in these moments, that the only reason that anyone would respond to that call is not because of the words of a man, but because of the power of your Holy Spirit. God, thank you 
that you chase us. Thank you that you don't leave us where we are. Thank you that you come after us and God, that you seek us out. You guys, I wanna lead us in a prayer and, I, and can we just all say this and like, let's say it like we mean it. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. Right now I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you are the son of God, that you were crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected for me. Save me, Jesus, and be the Lord of my life. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hope you were blessed and encouraged. If you'd like to follow along with us more, you can find us on Instagram at Good News in the Neighborhood. You can find us on Facebook at the same name. You can find us at www.goodnewsintheneighborhood.org. If there's anything that we can do, pray for you, help you in any way, please find us at that website and leave a prayer request. We'd love to bless you. And uh, until we see you again next time, this is good news.